Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus and says, The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. This is the Word of God for the people of God. It's helpful to remember as we read this passage that in Greek there's a word play here as Jesus speaks. The Greek word is pneuma. It's the same word for wind and spirit. There is a connection between wind and spirit. Jesus points out some of these characteristics, some of these similarities in verse 8. He says, The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We have some friends who have a sailboat. They invite us from time to time to go with them for a day at the lake. It's a beautiful and wonderful experience. After we had done this a few times, we were out sailing one day, and my wife thought maybe it was... um, Time for her to be the captain, to steer the ship. So she asked the fellow who was sailing, say, could I, you know, hold the wheel and drive the boat? So he said, well, sure. He gave her a few instructions. So she took over. And sure enough, we were tacking across the water just like you're supposed to. It was beautiful. It was smooth. And then the winds changed just a little bit. And she began to turn the wheel in the direction that she thought she should. And sure enough, we began to turn. But then we began to turn some more. And then we began to turn some more. And before you know it, we were sailing in circles. We were no longer tacking across the lake. We were spinning around in one place. Sometimes the winds blow. And we do not know where they come from or where they're going. Jesus says the wind blows where it chooses. And we do not always understand. And the Spirit is the same way. Jesus says, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Do you know the name Jim Rohn? He was a fellow that made a lot of money in his life. Then he lost all of his money. Then he made it again. Somewhere along the line, he decided that there were some life lessons 
that he could share with others. And he began speaking first to his Rotary Club, then other Rotary Clubs, and then he turned it into a career where he just traveled the country and talked about his life and these life lessons. He was a man of faith. He grew up in the Nazarene Church. But one section of his talk, when I got to see him on a couple of occasions, he called Mysteries of Life. He says people will come to one of these seminars to learn about how to do better in their business career. And the millionaire stands up and says, I read this book. It set me out on a path that changed everything. And then Roan would say, guess how many people go by the book? Very few. Incredible, he says. Why is that? It's one of the great mysteries of life. He says a fellow gives a lecture to a thousand people. One fellow walks out and says, that's going to change my life. The fellow right next to him yawns and says, ah, I've heard it all before. Why aren't they affected the same way? Why aren't both lives changed? Roan says, one of the great mysteries of life. Some believe and some don't. Why is that? Jesus says it's a mystery. It's like the wind. It blows and you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. God is at work in the world. And sometimes we see it. And sometimes we don't. Some people respond. And some people don't. It's a mystery of life. Jesus goes on in verse 16 to say, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Paul says the same kind of things in his early writings to the Christians at Rome. He says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hear the good news. God is seeking us. God is loving us. God is offering us a life of love, abundant and eternal. As Amy mentioned, and as the names reflected today, we've had a lot of funerals in the last 12 months. And when I am with a family at one of those funerals, I often quote, the 16th verse from John 3. But then I add to it what Jesus says in the 14th chapter as recorded by John when He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will not leave you orphaned, but I am coming to you. Jesus promises that He will be with us through the Advocate, the Counselor, the Comforter, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, the One that He promises to send the one that will be with us always and everywhere. And when I share that at a funeral, some people receive it and some don't. Some are comforted by it, others not. Jesus goes on to extend His teaching in verse 17 as He says, Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. 
I don't know about you, but my growing up, I heard a lot of preaching about condemnation and judgment and sin and going to hell. I didn't find that very inspiring. I didn't feel too encouraged. It didn't really make me or motivate me as a disciple of Christ. And I don't hear that very much these days, at least in Methodist circles anymore. But to be fair, when we think about our Methodist history and our founder, John Wesley, he was really concerned about judgment and the wrath to come and to make sure that he preached to sinners, to everybody, repent. When he started groups, what we call spiritual growth groups or accountability groups, the only entrance question was, did you want to flee from the wrath to come and repent of your sin? Seek salvation. And yet when he put those groups together, he said the reason that we will meet is so that we can pray together. So that we can receive a word of teaching or what he called exhortation. And so that we could watch over one another with love. And if you put that kind of emphasis which with his most distinctive theological writings, which is about sanctification or God's ongoing work in our lives, perfecting us in love or filling us with love of God and love of neighbor, I think it's fair to conclude that Wesley's emphasis theologically and in terms of what he was teaching had to do with receiving and experiencing God's love. I think that was his primary motivation is that he wanted people to have this experience of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God's love and grace being poured into one's life. I was reading Dr. Judith McDaniel, who's a homiletics professor at a seminary back east. She's commenting on this passage. She had a beautiful image, I thought. She said, like Nicodemus, we collect pennies from heaven when what is being offered is unimagined wealth in terms of God's love and grace. As we say in the baptismal ritual, God's love and grace is offered to us without price. And yet, as Dr. McDaniel points out so often, we go expecting pennies from God rather than the unimagined riches of life abundant and life eternal that God offers us through Christ. In John, to be born again or born from above or born of the Spirit all point to the same thing. All giving us the same admonition. Receive and pay attention to God's love working in our lives. Are you looking? Are you watching? Are you expecting God to be at work in your life? Are you ready to receive God's presence, God's leading, God's blessings as you go through your life day to day? I told you a few weeks ago that I was reading a book by Dr. Eugene Peterson. He's the fellow that spent about a decade rewriting the Bible in terms of doing his own translation with contemporary English. It's called the Message Bible. It's a refreshing read of Scripture if you've never looked at it. 
think you would find it interesting. But he also was a pastor for his whole life, from his young adult years until his retirement. And he writes a lot in this book I'm reading. He just calls the book The Pastor. It's a memoir as he looks back across his years of ministry. One story he told was about early in his ministry. He says he was serving a little rural church north of Baltimore, Maryland. And there began to be a mental health crisis. A lot of suicides and other kind of mental health problems erupting in this rural community north of Baltimore. He said, finally, a psychiatrist from one of the hospitals in Baltimore called and said, I'm thinking that maybe the pastors could help us. Would you be willing to organize a group of pastors that would commit to meet with me once a week? I would drive out there and coach you all, and you could be on the front lines to help these individuals and these families as they struggle with these mental health crises. Peterson liked the idea. He organized the group. They began to meet every Tuesday. He says he became very enamored with what he was learning and the skills that this psychiatrist was helping him figure out how to use in these situations when he was called in one of these crises. But then he said it struck him one day after they had been gathering for months that the chairs they were sitting on were exactly like the chairs he set up in his basement for Sunday worship in this little church he was trying to start. And he said it set him on a path of clarity about his vocation and his call. He said he began to realize as he saw these chairs just alike that what was happening on Tuesday was really something very different than what was happening on Sunday. He said, you know, it was a very good thing that I was learning these new skills and I could go into these crisis situations and fix things. But he said, then I began to realize that it was a bad thing because often that helped people avoid an encounter with God. He said he began to realize that on Tuesday they were seeing people as problems and problems with labels and problems we could fix. And he said, but on Sundays, I was reminded, more importantly, we were supposed to see people as children of God, made in God's image, beloved by God, despite whatever problems or situations they found themselves in. He said he realized that what they were doing on Tuesday was empowering people and helping them see what the problem was and helping them know how they could work on it. But he said on Sunday, it was more important to direct people toward God and what God was doing. I want to read you a few sentences of what he wrote because it makes a difference in terms of how we see ourselves and what we do here. He says we have to see that there's this difference between I am working on me, I am in control, and God is working on or in me. God is in control. He says, oh, they're both useful, but realize they're not the same. He writes it like this. He says, in therapy, we were looking at one another, noticing what was obscured or held back, identifying problems that we could solve or fix. In worship, we were all fairly accessible to one another, but looking not at one another, but beyond one another, cultivating a listening 
responsive attention to what we could not see. God. The cross, communion table, baptismal font, and pulpit called us to attention before God. A God we could not see or figure out. Therapy, fixing problems, fixing people was about us. Worship, becoming whole, opening our lives to what we could not control or understand was about God. Then he makes a further observation that I want us to hear. I think it's important here. He says, as he was working in all this, thinking about these different perspectives, he remembered what Paul wrote about what God was doing in the early church. Where Paul said that God chose the foolish and the weak to build the church. And then he writes, this pretty much described the people I was working with. These were not just random drop-ins from the neighborhood as I had previously thought. These were men and women whom God chose. They were God's choice. Oh, not my choice by a long shot, he says. But God's choice. Peterson says, what I realized is that this is what a biblical congregation looked like. And then he concludes by saying that he almost missed the biggest thing of all. The invisible work of God in and among our lives. Or being born in the Spirit. Are you ready to be born again or born from above? Are you ready to be born in the Spirit? Let us see and receive God's love and grace and be born in the Spirit and look for God's blessings day by day. Amen.